0: We are in Genesis chapter 5. Great job to Jared reading those names, right? That's why I always have Jared read the passage. I've uh, got one amen from Jared himself. Uh, just as a kind of a quick overview where, where we are headed, not where we've been, I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, next week, we, we're going to take a pause. This is our last message in Genesis uh, for 2019. Uh, uh, I don't know about you, but God has used this in my life. Over these last several months to just shape me and mold me to see who he is, his character and what he's called us to. Uh, but we will pause. Well, next week we will come and I'll have a Thanksgiving message since it is Thanksgiving. And then uh, in December, uh, the next week, we'll start our Advent. Uh, every year we uh, celebrate and come and look at Advent together. So we'll have four Sundays together uh, looking at uh, Advent and then we'll come back in January, pick back up in this series of origins. I I just didn't think it was appropriate. Next week would be uh, about Noah and the flood. I just didn't think that would be a great Thanksgiving message of the destruction. So I was like, what we'll do is we'll talk about Thanksgiving, then we'll pause and and go into our Advent uh, series. That'd be kind of a a heavy thing to go into uh, our Thanksgiving meal. And so that's kind of where we're headed. You can be praying for us that God would use next week and then the four weeks in December to talk about Advent. Advent just simply means the coming of. We come with great anticipation. Uh, We are celebrating the birth of Christ, but the birth of Christ reminds us that there is a time that He will return. So we come and celebrate that Advent uh, together. Oftentimes when I come and the way I preach, the way God has convicted me to lead me to preach is verse by verse, uh, book by book. And so it's one of those moments I'm like, man, God, why do you put genealogies in the Bible? Because I gotta preach that. Like that would have been helpful. Just like, couldn't we just said one a one line and just kept going? Um, but I, I believe that there's a lot of things in these uh, 32 verses. We will not be able to cover all of them this morning. But as a snapshot, an overview of this text, in light of where we've been, we see two prominent things throughout uh, this genealogy. Uh, genealogies are given to us by God for a purpose. It's not just to let us know where people come from. There is reason that God puts it in there. We're going to look at some of those this morning. But in this genealogy, we see two things. Uh, God's two promises in His Word. Remember, God made us two promises in Genesis chapter 2 uh, and 3. The first promise that God made to mankind was this. God That if they took and ate of the fruit, God made a promise to them that they would Surely die. And so over and over again, we see the promises of God being fulfilled through the death of mankind. Over and over and over and over again in this genealogy, we see that promise coming to fruition. That they lived and that they died. That they lived and that they died. So we can hold God to his word. If God said it, it's going to happen. And oftentimes we don't want to hear that piece of it. Like we don't, we want to skip over the promises of God that are negative, we would say. But here's a promise that God has kept. If you ate Adam and Eve of that fruit, you will surely die. And everyone else behind you will die. We see that what Paul tells us. Surely a sin came into the world by one man. death came into the world by one man. But thanks be to God, that's not where that verse ends. and That's not what ends in this passage. The second theme or the second promise that we see in this passage is this remember what he told us back in Genesis chapter three verse fifteen that God would send someone to be our redeemer? He says that in Genesis chapter three fifteen that God through the descendants of Adam and Eve there will be someone to come that will crush the head of the serpent. Amen. And we see that to be true in this genealogy. We know that to be true if you go all the way to Luke and we looked at it last week. Luke chapter three. Luke chapter three. The name of Seth is in the lineage or the legacy of Christ Himself. But this morning, I want to pay close attention to four people. We could cover all of them. There's ten generations in this uh, chapter. We're only going to cover four uh, people. There's four people that God and His uniqueness and through the the writer of Moses elaborates on four individuals uh, this morning. I want to look first, though, at the summary statement of uh, Genesis chapter five. That he he's going to give us a summary statement of the whole uh, chapter. We see four things in this summary statement. Let me read that to you. It says this: This is the book, or this is the promise. Like this is not a fictional story. This is literally happened. These are the people of God that God chose, and it shows us that God's promises is still true. That this is the line that's going to connect. The, the, the first five chapters to the next 50 chapters. And so this is a line. This is how God is going to show us His promise that He is going to restore mankind. This is a true story. He gives us four statements of what God is going to do with God's people and how He does it. It says this. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, He made him in His likeness. Male and female He created them. And He blessed them and named them man. And they were created. So we see in this first statement, the summary statement, four things. And this is true for us. True for every man that's mentioned in this uh, preceding chapter. The first one is this. That God is the one that creates. This is not some ooze, cosmic ooze, that just collided together in the atmosphere that created What we have. There's no such thing as evolution. We see that again. God has been faithful to show us that God is the creator and sustainer of all things. He says that. That God created man. Not by happenstance. Not by chance. it's Not because two atoms collided that made one atom. Did you get that joke? No, I'm sorry. That was terrible. So we know that God is the creator of all things. The second promise that we see is this. That not only did He create us, but we're what? We're in His likeness. We, we carry the Imago Day of God. He creates, and unlike anything else He created, we bear the image of God. That is a great promise for us. Because we bear the image of God, like no other thing, we can hear and respond to God and God alone. That's what it means to be made in His image. We have a uniqueness about us that separates us from all creation. Look at the next two promises that He shows us. I pray this would be true for you today and it's true for me. Whether we know it or not. He says this in verse 2. Male and female, He created them. And He what? He blessed them. Thank God for His blessings. Now we don't always see His blessings. We may not always feel His blessings. But the truth of God is we're blessed human beings because we've been created in the image of God. We are blessed people and then the last one it says this and they were created who created them God and then you see for the next 30 verses basically this relationship between father and son father and son father and son and so what God is showing to us already in the passage that yes he created us yes we're made in his likeness yes we've been blessed by God but there's a key piece, we are also fathered by God. When we come into Christ Jesus, the Apostle Paul says this, that we are adopted sons and daughters of God so that now we have a heavenly Father that we can call upon Abba, Father. That is a great truth for us this morning. Amen? You know that you are fathered by God. We've been created by God. We're in His image. We've been blessed by God and now we are fathered by God. That's the introductory passage on verses 1 and 2. 3 through 32, we see 10 generations of the sons and daughters of God that this man begot this man, that this man begot this man, that this man lived this long, that this man died. We see that over and over and over again in the passage. So we're going to look at four people this morning. The four people we'll look at is Seth. Enoch, Lamech, and finally, Noah. We'll spend way more time in Noah when we come back in January. We'll look at Noah's life and his children and the promises of God that come to Noah and the curse that comes through Noah to the world. We'll spend way more time with Noah. I want to give us a brief overshot of Noah this morning as we are going to be reminded of him in a few weeks. But here's what I want to point out before we move on to those four men interesting that every man in here, that only four people, really, there's a great deal about. And so we can read these names and we can bypass the, the other uh, the, the other seven men in the passage. But here's the truth about this genealogy. This is a God given genealogy of the promise of God, the covenantal promise of God. And so all we get for most of them is just their name and their death their name, and their death. But here's what's true. They held a legacy in the promise of God. That they may not be mentioned other than that, but we see the promise of God through these godly men and their heritage that goes on. And so my hope to you, I could spend a whole sermon talking about that. Do you carry the legacy of God for your family? I hope in ten generations That, that the stories of who Todd is may never be told to that generation, but they will know there was a godly man that carried the line for their, their sanctification. Like, because of where I am today and where I come from, like, God, through His great goodness and kindness to me on my life, separated me from a legacy of addiction and chaos. Like, He's the one that plucked me out of that line of chaos. The same way that he did Seth. Remember where Seth came from. Two parents. One brother that killed his other brother and that brother went on to live and wander the land. But in God's goodness, God, it says, chose Seth out of the line of Adam and Eve to carry the legacy of Christ Jesus. So for you this morning and for me this morning, if all that our lives could be said that Todd lived, For 77 years and he died. If that's all that's said about me, but the legacy of me standing true to the promises of God will carry out 10 generations, that's all that matters to me. And my prayer for us is your legacy. It doesn't matter what you do, it's what you carry to be true. The legacy of Christ Jesus being your risen Savior. You know, Adam had a very unique beginning. Eve had a very unique beginning. They were not born to anyone. They were created. But here's what's true of Adam and Eve. It's true about you and I. We do not have a unique ending. It's all the same. We will all die just the way Adam and Eve died. And every single man in this story except for one died that way. And there's one that's going to come from this line that dies a different way as well. And we see some promises of that early on in Genesis chapter 5. So let's look at those four individuals. The first one is this, Seth. Remember that Eve and Adam had Seth and that Eve named him Seth because he was the appointed one, that Eve had all this hope that this would be the one that would fulfill the promises in Genesis chapter 3.13. She really believed that this was the promised child. You know, we read the passage and we automatically know it's Jesus. Eve had no clue who Jesus was other than the promise that God had made her a few years before that. And so she has all this hope and all this promise that Seth would be who he was, would be that promise. His name literally means the appointed one. and He was the appointed one to carry the legacy of that promise to Christ Jesus. But here's what's true about that promise that comes through Seth. Seth then does things that his other two brothers were unable to do. Able because he was killed and Cain because he was a murderer. It says it in the very last passage. We see that Seth is the first place in all the texts that Seth calls together the people of God to worship God. It started with Seth. The, the church, if you will, coming as a gathering of people was because of Seth. It says that in uh, Genesis chapter 4. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Because of who? Seth. So Seth had this relationship with God the Father that he understood that the worship of God had to come from God's people. And so he gathered his people. He gathered his heritage and brings them together. This was the line of Seth. Remember, no name of Cain's descendants are mentioned. Only the descendants of Seth. God uses Seth to bring the people of God to worship. So Seth is an important role model for us to call the people of God together to call upon the name of the Lord. The second man that we see is Enoch. Enoch is a very interesting man. The, the, his name literally means this, the dedicated one. And You're going to see how that name plays out in his story. It says this about Enoch. In chapter 5, verse 21. This is all we hear about two things that we hear about Enoch. That he walked with God. And we're going to know that in walking with God in that day, we're going to see that in a few generations that the people that were once praising God become wicked people. That's what the flood is about. The wickedness of the people But there's this man, Enoch, that's in the middle of the witness that is dedicated to walking with God, to have a relationship with God that is not affected by the world. He walks with God. My question to myself, my question to you this morning, if if your genealogy was written about you from your great, great, great grandparents and it got to your name, would your epitaph say he walked with God? That's how he's remembered. He walked with God. Of all the things he did on this planet, the thing that's most remembered about Enoch is that his intimate relationship with God, walking with God. It doesn't say he was with God. It doesn't say he understood God. It doesn't say he taught God, though we know he's a prophet. We see that in Jude. He stood before the wicked people and proclaimed who God was. He proclaimed the judgment of God would come to them. We know that to be true doesn't say he was a prophet. It simply says that he walked with God. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? See, walking with God showed the intimate relationship he had with God, which says this to us, that he believed in God. He trusted God. He placed his hope in God. And this is what it says. Only one other man and all of Scripture is this said about. Not even Jesus Christ. It's Elijah. He said he walked with God. He walked with God. It's the shortest out of all the places. He's the one that walked with God the shortest. The other, his grandparents and the people that came behind him hundreds of years past him. The shortest man that walked on earth walked with God the shortest. But it says this about him. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. He was blameless that God and his goodness took Enoch out of the wicked world without having to experience death. Could you imagine that day? Like all of a sudden, here's hears Enoch walking around, and then gone. He's gone the next day. I wonder what his friends were thinking. Like, was he playing like the ultimate hide-and-go-seek? Here's this man that had such an intimate relationship with God. He's proclaiming who God is to the people. And then all of a sudden, they can't find him. Because he walked with God. He loved God. and So we have to ask the question, how did Enoch walk with God? The answer comes to us in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, it says Enoch walked with God by faith. So my question to me, my question to you is, are we walking with God through faith this morning? Where's your faith in God? You cannot walk with God without having a true, intimate knowledge and faith of God. Do you know and trust Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's what Jeremy prayed just a few moments ago. That is the only way for us to walk with God is by faith and faith alone. I love what this one writer says about Enoch. She says this, Lucy Shaw, in one of her poems, writes this. It says about Enoch. He crossed the gap another way. He changed his pace, his pace, but not his company. He crossed the gap. He died, or he was taken from us. He crossed over into eternity another way that no one at that point had ever seen. But this is what it says. Though his pace, the way he walked, changed. His company never changed. He walked with God on this side of eternity the same way he's walking with God today in glory. Are we walking with God? We learn from Seth. We gather people in the goodness of God as we sang this morning. We learn from Enoch, are we walking with God? And this is what we learn from his great-grandson, Lamech. This is a different one. The, the one that we read in chapter 4 is not the same man. So if you read chapter 4, you read chapter 5, these are two different people. Remember, his uncle, great-great-great-great-great-uncle was a wicked man. He boasted about killing someone. This is not the same man. This is what we learn from this man. He called upon the name of the Lord says this about Lamech. He had a son. This is the only place in this genealogy that it didn't say he named him, but he called him. He put a call on Noah's life. And the call was this. That out of the ground the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our working and from our pain, painful toil of our hands. And so what we learn from this man is this. He believed in the promise of God. He named his son, Noah, out of reminding himself of what Genesis chapter 3 had said. He was reminded of the hope that was going to come. And he put his hope that this would be the son. His name, Noah, literally means to bring comfort, to bring relief, and to bring rest. Lamech believed that to be true of God. He believed that God is a God of comfort. He believed that God was a God of rest. He believed that God was going to come and rescue His people. Think about it for a moment. How many generations had passed from the promise that God had made to Adam and Eve? Generation after generation after generation after generation. At some point, does your hope in a promise not begin to dwindle? Anyone else been there? I can remember Jenny and I, we struggled to have our first baby, Tennyson. And I remember in those moments, my hope dwindling that we'd ever have a child on our own. And I was holding God to some promise that I feel like He made to us. But after a long time, that hope kind of goes away. So generation after generation after generation, we see Lamech believing and trusting in the promise that God would send Someone to bring them relief. His hope never waned. His hope in Christ, his hope in the promise, never faltered. He believed that God would do what God said he would do. So he names his son Noah. My question for me, my question for you this morning, has your hope in the promise dwindled? That God's going to restore things. That God's going to restore your marriage. That God's going to bring you hope. That God's going to bring you joy. Where are you in the promises of God? We live in a fallen, darkened world that the promises of God can be so tainted, but God's promises aren't taken away by the world. Our hope is in them, oftentimes. But the promises of God are just as true as they are when He made them to begin with. But I don't know about you. Oftentimes my hope dwindles. But Lamech, we see his hope never dwindled. He believed that there would be a covenantal promise that would come to God's people. He was hoping the same way that we have hope. That God is going to come and conquer sin and death. We have that hope, that promise from God that because of Christ Jesus, We will never have to face death eternally. We have all these hopes that we can see throughout Scripture. And those are promises from God. Let us be like Lemek and have our hope in Christ, in Christ alone. And finally, we get to, to Noah. Again, like I said, Noah meant this to bring comfort, to bring relief, to bring rest. We see three things about Noah in this passage. I'll bleed into chapter 6 just a little bit this morning. The first one is this. That we see hope is coming through Noah. His dad said that about him. Out of the ground that the Lord had cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from our spiritual pain. There's hope That there's comfort coming. Does not echo true what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28? Jesus calls Himself hope. He calls Himself rest. He calls Himself comfort in that passage. Come to Me all who are what? Weary and heavy laden. And I will give you Noah or rest for your soul. We have hope that our souls will find rest. Not they might find rest, but they will find rest this morning. The second thing that we see is this. It's not a very promising thing that we see, but we will always be faced through temptation to compromise. It says that in verse 1-7. through It says that, the people, God looks at his people and says, My spirit shall not dwell in man forever. In his, in his flesh, he shall only live 120 years. Then in chapter 6, verse 5, it says this, That the Lord saw the wickedness of man, and it was great on the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of the heart. It was only, only evil. They compromised. The people of God that were once that we see in Genesis 4 praising God and calling upon the Lord, came to a place of compromise. But we see something about Noah. Noah never compromised. Noah was a blameless, righteous man. The compromise was this. It's the same compromise that Satan uses on us today. It's what happened to them in chapter 6. It's what happened to bring corruption into the world. The temptation is this for us today that we must take note of. The temptation is for us to be friends with the world. That's what happens in this passage. I'll spend more time on that in the next month to, to look at that. Have we become friends with the world? The second compromise that we will have is that we'll fall in love with the world. Not just be friends with the world. And that word love starts to happen you just kind of get close enough and then you fall in love with it. You keep it at a distance to begin with and then you start the friend in it, then you fall in love with it. So we begin to, to love the world and the things of the world. You know what happens when we befriend the world and love the world? We find comfort in those places. it like gets comfortable to have a nice house. It's comfortable to have a, a large bank account. It's comfortable to have things. But that, that starts because I start loving those things more than God. And I find comfort in those things. And then the last one is this, that rather than being separated from the world, we ultimately join and become like the world. God's called us to separate ourselves from the world. The next thing that we see is this, through Noah, we see a man that is a very gracious and kind man. His heart was changed because of his intimacy with God. His mind was changed because of his intimacy with God. And ultimately, the act of the will was changed because of the intimacy with God. Noah lived differently than the world around him. That's what it says in, in Genesis chapter 6, that God looked on the wickedness of the world, but he found one man whose mind was right, whose heart was right, and whose will was right. It was conformed into the image of God rather than the image of this world so in closing this morning I'd ask us this I always ask the question I asked it last week how are we like Cain but this morning I'd ask you this how are you like Seth this morning how are you like Enoch this morning do you walk with God how are you like Lamech this morning do you hold to the promises of God and how are you like noah not loving the world but loving god himself let us live like these four men let us live by faith and faith alone let me pray for us this morning